0: Welcome to the Inside Events podcast by Swapcard, the leading virtual, hybrid and in-person event platform. Inside Events is your go-to podcast for fresh insights from the world's top event professionals. Here is your host, Bob from Swapcard. Good afternoon, marketing and event professionals. I'm so excited to welcome everyone to another great episode. My name is Bob Chan. I'm one of the strategic account managers here at Swapcard and really excited to highlight one of the top minds in the industry and lean on their experiences and expertise to drive innovation today. This week, we are joined by author, keynote speaker, and engagement specialist, Scott Gould, who wrote his first book, The Shape of Engagement in 2017, and recently published an article titled, The Science of Virtual Event Engagement, which will be available for download in the comments section below. Scott, welcome to the Inside Events podcast.
1: Thank you, Bob. It's really great to be here today, and thank you to everyone who's listening. Appreciate your time today.
0: Now I know I provided a very high-level introduction of your background, but can you provide a bit more context of your work so far, specifically surrounding you know this concept of engagement?
1: Yes, certainly. So as you said, uh, four, four years ago, I published a book called The Shape of Engagement, which seeks to demystify what engagement is. It's this very kind of mythical force, this magical elixir, and actually break it down into what is a very practical subject and i do that through a series of shapes as metaphors and frameworks i started really thinking about what what was engagement maybe 15 or so years ago i used to be a church minister and i used to run youth conferences and i also used to be a a kind of a tech entrepreneur i used to build technology and things and using ASP back in the day building shopping carts and things and I, I was always fascinated by what engaged people whether it was film I was into film poetry whether it was apps whether it was a church community whether it was a service I was fascinated by what engaged people and what what were the constant elements so when I stopped being a church minister and i went into consulting that was the thing that i picked up it was engagement i mean generally of course that takes the shape of looking at employee customer or community engagement but event engagement is a really important part of that in fact i think that events are actually one of the main driving forces of engagement so that that's my work and as you mentioned yes i got to publish a paper with yourselves on uh, the science of virtual engagement earlier in 2021
0: and, and you called it a magical elixir and I, I love that but obviously the idea of engagement is a really big topic and can really mean or be defined as something completely different to say different individuals or planners mm-hmm. given their uh, community or audience and things like that and you speak and define it. Uh, in the past as the head, hands, and heart as different levels of engagement. Could yeah. you expand on those um, kind of three levels and how that framework could assist potentially planners today?
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. So I think, as I was you know, joking about earlier, <laughs> engagement is seen as this magical force that we do not understand, and actually it's not. Engagement is a psychological state, right? Love is a psychological state. Flow is a psychological state. Engagement is a psychological state. And researchers into engagement have broken it down into one of three areas. And this actually is uh, what are called the ABCs of social psychology. We have affective engagement or heart engagement it's to do with uh, part of the brain called the ventral to gentle it's where we build deep bonds with things that's the deepest form of engagement how engaged you are with your family with a spouse maybe core products or a lot of people who are apple fans would resonate with a kind of deep sense of bonding if someone's into air jordan and they've got hundreds of pairs it's very deep bonding um, so that's the a the b behavior or we could talk about hands engagement that's when you are engaging in doing something. so if you're let's say you're running an event and you're saying people aren't really engaging what we mean there is they are not hands behaviorally physically engaging they are remaining separate and then head engagement would be what a social psychologist would call cognitive engagement which is to say that we have a sense of understanding and it's all to do with the prefrontal cortex do people understand do they know and uh, when we talk about social media engagement actually often a lot of that is really indicative of does somebody understand something or not so those would be the three different types of engagement and when we say engagement that really is a complex way of saying togetherness so if we wind it back we can be together in head which is the most common form of engagement. I understand something. We can be together in hands as in we are both together in doing something behaviorally right now, whether it's you and I are actually engaged in this podcast episode, of course, as is you, if you're listening. And then finally we have together in heart, which maybe none of us are with each other, but I imagine we all are with the concept of events, because that's something that actually probably defines a large part of all of our identities. Given this is an event podcast.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think that as we look back on the past 18 months, obviously that takes us really to the onset of the Mm, pandemic and this adoption of, well, the adoption and expedited growth of virtual first experiences, which even today, we still hear this idea of online engagement or virtual engagement being such a, a topic and challenge. And why do you believe that this concept is potentially even more challenging in this virtual-first
1: experience? A friend of mine put it really great. He said, the reason why we struggle with virtual engagement is we've taken something that wasn't actually working anyway. It was a bit of a broken model, as in lots of events, And then we just digitalized what was already a broken model, and that revealed even more of its flaws. One example of this is, and shows our misunderstanding, is the concept of skeuomorphism, which if anyone's in design, they'll understand skeuomorphism is when you use something in real life as the way in which you build your product. So back in the day when note-taking apps on your phone would look like a pad of paper, that's a skewer and we've skewer morphed events by having these events with virtual foyers, virtual lobbies and virtual booths. And every event I go to, I always go into the foyer. I always go into the booths. No one's there. <laughs> and in fact, arriving in a virtual lobby is actually darn confusing because when you arrive in a lobby in real life, it's because physically that's the way the building works. And you also get to watch what others do. You arrive where the people are. However, when you arrive at an online event, the people are not in a lobby, they're already in the event, so why not just have me arrive in the event? So it just shows that actually, we perhaps fundamentally misunderstand some of the points around what makes for an engaging event in real life, and therefore, when we stick it online, we actually just, these cracks become uh, wider and more like, more chasm-like actually.
0: Yeah, and I think that this is the part where I love to shift the conversation is, Obviously, there's that challenge that you just referenced and starting to look at, okay, what are some of those maybe actionable items that we can take Mm -hmm. home today and maybe apply to our day-to-day? So what would you say then if those are some of the challenges, what are potentially things that do make events more engaging, whether it be virtual or knowing that we are having some returns to in-person experiences, depending upon the location you are within the world and therefore can drive this instance that we've all been as human beings yearning for over the past few years
1: when people say we struggle to make virtual events engaging i immediately think well are we that engaged in in person events we sit in a lecture hall in a lovely conference room and we all listen we look and we listen. Are we really that engaged? Well, actually, cognitively, maybe we are really engaged. Looking and listening silently is a mark of people being very cognitively head engaged, because they are listening to what you're saying. If we mean they're behaviorally engaged, which is different, and we mean they're standing up, and they're sticking post-it notes, and they're asking questions. You know, we would talk about being people are actively rather than passively engaged. Let's say passive would be Listening, active would be I'm now doing something, but these are two different forms of engagement actually. When it comes to the online, I find that people do respond to those things if I've taken the time to well design my workshopping environment. However, I think it's perfectly acceptable to actually say, the way I'm gonna be doing my online session is I'm gonna cognitively engage you. I'm gonna allow you to just sit back and enjoy the ride. I'm gonna be entertaining, inspiring. All you have to do is listen. However, if what I want is for you to make something with me, Well now, I can't just say I'm doing a workshop, call it a workshop and actually it's me talking with extended slides and then I've thrown in a few little Zoom interactive features. There's a poll and I'm looking in the chat box, so I just don't lie, just make it a presentation and call it and do that well and make that entertaining or if it is a workshop, let's really get to grip with some tools here so people can make some stuff. And they're two different things. I often don't think, I actually actually don't think we often decide to pick one or the other with this false idea that we have to merge them all in together. I I just don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. But I know this is actually probably a little bit controversial because I think we want to make things engaging that people do stuff, I guess. And one of my points in actually my report that I wrote with Swapcard was it's actually okay to let people just watch and not be involved. That is actually okay And give yourself the room to allow that. The caveat is though, if you do that, make sure you are a great presenter. Don't put on someone who's a bad presenter.
0: And so I was actually recently at a in-person event and kind of reinforces what you just said where it was a very traditional ballroom. Everyone sat into these round tables. Of course, in the first couple minutes, everyone was chatting, engaging with each other the panel and speakers started and then about 90 minutes later of talking head to an audience, you start to see people getting up, heading out to the hallways, starting to go back to that human to human connection. And I think that's where you start to see, even like you said, it may not be a virtual only challenge that we're being faced with, but that probably just. excerbates the challenges and and the visuals um that we see and knowing that one of the things that you just referenced this idea of connection and specifically networking is one of the hot topics within virtual first experiences, knowing that yes. that is the thing that a lot of people say, this is the one thing that I can't get. I'm not connecting with other individuals, but you shared some insights into this idea of a, a group of three yeah. opportunity when it comes to networking specifically. Can you expand on that idea and, and how that works? Yeah.
1: If you think about the way that networking works in real life is if you meet someone that you don't know Those conversations go best when a third party introduces you and serves as a catalyst for the two other people to get to know each other. Hi, Bob, this is Scott, this is Bob and Bob does this and Scott does that. And they help lubricate and get things moving. But what we do in the virtual world is we either don't have networking features or we have these things that will connect you, but it's all one-to-one and so the first problem with that is actually the the benefit of the three-way network is somebody introduces us okay so maybe i can't make that happen because i don't know although i'm sure there probably are algorithms out there that could make it work that two people are matched and there's a third person who knows them both but the other benefit Mm -hmm. of the three-way is it actually takes the intensity off of a one-to-one conversation it means that there is a moment where somebody can rest somebody can move back into cognitive engagement i'm just listening and then move back into okay i'm now going to contribute and say a lot more then i'm going to step back again bearing in mind that engagement is going to be a flow it is going to be up and down you're listening to me right now somebody on this podcast is listening to us right now that's actually perfectly acceptable later on they will talk later on you will talk and i will be silent so that's good when we have a triangulation that works better then the third thing Is if three people meet, we've got a triangular shape. We've got a network that is far more resilient than if you and I have just met. Because now there is obviously the nodes, the nodes have increased. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you see how these kind of nodes increasing increases your part of a network. But it means it's far easier for me to stay in touch with two other people that I've met than just one. Because with one, if someone doesn't reply quickly, it goes dead, it goes quiet. It's very insular. You add a third person in and the social dynamic is so much richer. So I think the big mistake with a lot of networking tools is they are all one-to-one exclusively. None of them are looking at three-way or small group networking features. The best we can get is breakout rooms in Zoom. The problem with those is you don't stay in touch with those people because it doesn't have a way of automatically giving you their details and creating a WhatsApp group for you to all stay in touch. So the benefits of the one-to-one thing are good because maybe it will create an email log of who you've met and email you both, but it needs to be more than one-on-one.
0: And this kind of brings us to one of the major topics that we've been seeing within the industry is obviously we've been talking about everything in a kind of events vertical or events silo. And a lot of the things we, we've been discussing it and talking about today, but what you were just referencing is expanding that timeframe of those experiences yeah. of you have the idea of networking and now you can continue that out. And that's pointing to that greater topic of community versus events, yeah. which I know is one that if you read any industry article, Out there today, you can't go a paragraph in without hearing this concept and things like that, and expanding that lifespan. Yeah. So, if if I remember correctly, you were on a panel, and one of the comments that you made surrounding this idea of the event versus the community, and of course, it's not one or the other, right? Yeah. With a bunch of question marks, and and I would just love to hear your thoughts on this um, idea of not only this trend, but how potentially you would be approaching a maybe individual event experience plus the continuation of of the community longer term
1: as i mentioned i used to be a church minister religion is the place to look at for event communities right they're the longest lasting they're amazing they recognize that an event is best when it is a punctuation in the life of a community it serves as a way to bring us together and the event is a particular type of togetherness when we are all physically together at the same time. And then the community, it's not like the event happens outside of the community or that the community happens outside of the event. The event is the manifestation of the community And there will be lots of events because there will be smaller gatherings people get together on a sunday and we've got everyone but then in the week people are going to be getting together in different ways and different formats this is really good so when i started my own event business some years ago i started a digital conference in 2009 it was just natural to me that i would make it a community that was punctuated by events so people loved it and people were like oh it's so good just because there was such a sense of community about it but to me why would you not do that? Because how arrogant do you have to be to think that your event by itself is gonna change someone's life? No, it's not. What will happen is you run your event, people have a nice time, they'll hear a few things that might help them, then they'll forget it all. Whereas if you have a community, people now stay in touch and they connect and that helps coach them into that stuff later on. That's the benefit of community. So we know that if you're, for instance, if you're training people in an organization, doing a workshop of training and then doing nothing else is the worst roi for everyone's time and money around you've got to create a coaching context that enables this to happen further on so it's the same the community serves as the coaching environment the ongoing environment for the value of the event to live and then kel surprise when it comes around to doing your event again you've now got a community of engaged people that are loving this and are into this and not only that they've helped nurture it and they've helped supply it caveat again i think anyone listening knows i like my caveats by now this is not a Mailchimp newsletter and nor can you just say we have a community and therefore it becomes a community it is work it is work And it's not even just about having community managers. It's about people who really have a heart for connecting people together, triangulating them throughout this community, pulling people from the community to add to the richness of the event and all of this stuff. And then sticking that on stage when you all come together. This is what churches, again, and different religious settings do best. They take the richness of what happens in the community and they put that on stage and they showcase that. It always irritates me when event communities have a great big speaker, which is fine, but then they have no one from their community involved. It's just like a slap in the face it's just completely wrong and again how arrogant you have to be to think that it's only a celebrity name that is going to be the one to teach you anything actually you can learn far more by hearing from someone in your community who's got something real life to say it's just look they're not going to help you sell tickets because they're not a big name so yes you need a bit of both anyway i'm 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 getting a bit hot-headed here but (laughs) i just i think community is important but i think it can also be done in so many weird ways And let's not forget it is work, right? It is work.
0: Especially for this specific vertical and and the industry that we're speaking of, the experiential market, there's a lot of things that probably are are newer elements to really drive a lot of those things that you were just referencing surrounding the idea of community. It's something where if we look at events and experiences pre-pandemic, we, lived in this idea of perception mm. for so long and, and how I, I feel like the, say, trade show traffic was better or slower than last year. And that was my way of measurement. And, and now it's looking at, okay, how do we potentially layer in some of those scientific elements to it? Actually understand what the potential event data is showing us and telling us about our audience so that we can better design to them. And I think that's where it starts to build that intersection to what you're referencing, Scott, of those different types of not just community managers, but ways that you can almost ideate, test, and develop those experiences that matter the most to those independent audiences that you serve.
1: Yeah. Communities are like the ultimate, as you say, testing and experimenting grounds. That The panel that I was on recently with Yinka Freeman and Hugh Forrest from South by Southwest, he said in any given year at South by, 50% of people that come have come before, 50% are new. That's a really handy thing to look at. And you go, well, That community provides you the 50%. It also provides you all the advocacy that gets the other 50%, or at least a large part of it. And they see it as a really important part of nurturing all the different content and things that they have. And, of course, South By doesn't just go, we have an event, and then our community is going to be our newsletter and a few things. There's so many different forms of gathering, little events, other types of events that happen throughout the year. South By's conference is one, but the festival is a version, one thing, but there are a range of them. So if you run an event and you've got people that have attended and you're not doing something else with them that's another format of your event, even if it's a WhatsApp group, even if we're gonna have a Zoom call and we're gonna chat and 10 people are gonna have a conversation or something. But if you're not doing all of that stuff, you're just really losing the value that you've got waiting there to be unleashed.
0: That's where there's Also that challenge of sustainability from a human capital perspective, I know that one of the major challenges just within not only the experiences industry, but hospitality as well, is the human capital side of taking that extra work that you're referencing, Scott, and things like that. So one of the things that I would love to, as we start to wrap up today, touch on is A lot of those different strategies when it comes to engagement, we're focusing on maybe a one, two, three-day virtual experience, which are Mm -hmm. extensions or those different types of touch points throughout the year that you just uh, mentioned that a lot of these association managers can and should be taking to really cultivate that next level of community. But talking about keeping a community engaged throughout the year through either Content or online platforms or these kind of three way networking opportunities, what are the potential strategies for this? Are there any kind of ebbs and flows throughout the year structures or things that you often approach when it comes to this
1: there's typical techniques right typical tactics mm-hmm. people doing something once a month right it 's a typical one. People pausing in the summer or at the holiday season. And I think pauses are important. You've got to let people, life is ebbs and flows, it's up and down. You've got to allow there to be seasons. I guess that's a a typical one. Finding ways to help people who are geographically near each other get together face to face would probably be an underrated but an important one. Creating mini communities within your community that might be a community of practice around a particular thing. Let's say you have 100 people in your community And it turns out that actually 10 people all have a similar role and they could form a little community of practice where they might meet once a week for 12 weeks. It's a limited time frame, but it's something that they do. It's value that you can facilitate. And you're right. Yes, there is a human capital thing there. I guess part of it is you can go, well, this is our investment into our next event. Our big earner actually working. But also, I think if you aren't, you should be thinking about ways that you make your community commercially viable during the year. I'm not saying you're going to make loads of cash, but it's this idea that it all needs to be free. And I think that's also a mistake, because the more that we begin to move towards this, it's all free mindset, we actually give up the challenge of doing something that costs, that is valuable. And that's the power of the market, is the market soon fleshes out what actually are people willing to pay for because they want it. You can't, don't skip out on that <laughs> by calling it all free and then excusing yourself from really providing value. If you're doing something that your community will really find valuable, they'll pay for it. So you need to set that challenge for yourself. You can't let yourself off the hook. Yeah, they can get a big discount or whatever it might be that you choose to do to kick some goodwill back in their direction. Don't let yourself off the hook of actually being truly valuable versus doing something that's semi-valuable and then masking it as being free.
0: (laughs) That is one of the million-dollar questions that everyone, especially right out of the gate, really pushing. And I think that is such a great piece of insight to all those who are going and doing these different types of experiences is that we shouldn't devalue the work that we do. And I feel like there was a lot of groups and organizations that went straight to that out of fear, concern and things along those lines. So love that for sure.
1: Yeah, the seas of free content isn't there. And actually, I guess the challenge is what am I going to do that is just better?
0: Scott Gold, author of Shape of Engagement, keynote speaker, and all around engagement specialist. Scott, thank you very much for all of your insights and
1: expertise today. Thank you, Bob. And thank you to those who've been listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Inside Events podcast by SwapCard. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or would like to access a special discount just for our podcast listeners, send a message to podcast at SwapCard.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Inside Events.